for where you're at. My name is Ash. I'm going to swing things around a little bit differently this time. And I'm going to read you um, the tale of the four kings. So these are the four kings or four Indian kings of the New World. Three were Mohawk chiefs from one of the five nations of the Iroquois Confederacy and a Mohican of the Algonquin people. So... The reason why I want to talk to you about this is I think it's important to understand history. And this seems to be something Mohican uh, history is not well known at all. There's very little to nothing based off it except for Last of the Mohicans movie, which drives me nuts. Being that I'm a descendant of the person that I'm going to speak to of here. But... Anyways, um, trying to find research with this was next to impossible, but I did find this from a Google search, a very interesting fact. And since obviously artwork, you know, like taking photos and stuff wasn't even a thing then, this is something cool. You got to see, um, I got to see some artwork done, even though obviously they were dressed up and you'll see why it was still nice to be able to see my ancestors. So anyways... Their portraits were painted by Jan Vereist of London to commemorate their travel from New York in 1710 to meet the Queen of Great Britain. So the three Mohawk men that went were Sagayith Kwapith To of the Bear Clan, called King of Maquas, which I know I'm butchering. Um, King of the Maquas, with the Christian name Peter Brandt, grandfather of the Bear Clan, called King of Maquas. The Christian name Peter Brandt, grandfather Mohawk leader Joseph Brandt. Uh, Honeyith Ta Noro of the Wolf Clan, called King of Kanajahari, Great Boiling Pot, or John of Kanahujari, and... Tiyi Hogaro, meaning double life of the wolf clan, also called Hendrik Tionohakarawa. I'm totally butchering these, I apologize. Or King Hendrik. So, the Mohican chief, which was my ancestor, though we do have, um, we do have Brants as well in our family, which are Mohawk. Um, Ito Ito O Kuam of the Turtle Clan mistakenly identified in his portrait as Mohican chief was emperor of the Six Nations. 
He was mistakenly identified as emperor of the Six Nations, and the Algonquin-speaking Mohican people were not part of the Iroquois Confederacy. The five chiefs set out on the journey, but one died in the mid-Atlantic, so there was five of them originally. It's kind of sad. The four Indian kings painted by Jean Verles in 1710 were Eto'o which was Mohican, Sagayith Kwa Piethto, Honi Yith Ta Noro, and Tiyuho Garo. Again, I apologize. I'm totally sucking at these. So, Sagayith Kwa Piethto was one of the three Hondanasani Iroquois chiefs who traveled to Great Britain to meet the queen. He is a Mohawk chief and a member of the Bear Clan. During his visit, Sagayith Kwa Piethto was baptized, which kind of bothers me, and from then called Peter Brandt. He was the grandfather of the famous Iroquois leader, Joseph Brandt. Um, in the portrait of Peter Brandt is some of the best records of the 18th century Aboriginal tattooing in existence. The tattoos were created by first stenciling on the skin and then stabbed into the flesh with needles or little bones until it uh, bled. Although the exact meaning of his tattoos is unknown, it can be assumed that his detailed tattoos are because of his status as a leader and obviously as a warrior. Brandt died soon after he returned from London. And Sagayith Kwa Piethto was the brother of the Emperor Tiyiho Garo. That's really sad. I mean, I believe if you want to change your belief systems, that's fine. But after all the bullshit Native Americans have gone through, ugh, it just makes me sick. Anyways. And if you don't know, you need to start reading common books that you can find anywhere your local libraries because their history is important and people should understand the land of which they reside. Anyways, Honiyith Ta Noro was born in what is now upstate New York. He was one of the three Haudenosaunee Iroquois chiefs who traveled to Great Britain to meet the queen. And he was... He um he was then baptized and then called John. Honi Yith Ta Noro was part of the Wolf Clan and is why the wolf is depicted with him in his portrait that you'll see. If you look it up, you can just Google it. And just like the other chiefs, the symbolic skin markings, clothing, and beautiful unique items were all ways the native diplomats demonstrated their values and status. They were dressed that way. Ito O Kuam was a Mohican and not a Haudenosaunee chief, but he also traveled with the other chiefs to Great Britain to meet the queen. In Ito O Kuam's portrait by Jan, he is holding a carved wooden ball headed club, which shows his status as a warrior. He has a thunderbird tattooed on his face, and the thunderbird was thought to be a powerful key sky spirit, and is a symbol of spiritual support for a warrior who wore it. That's pretty freaking amazing. I think that's cool. Anyways, can you imagine getting a tattoo that way? I can't even imagine getting a tattoo on your face, period. That would hurt. Tiyuho Garo, baptized Hendrick, was the third of the three Haudenosaunee Iroquois chiefs who traveled to Great Britain to meet the queen, and he's the emperor of the Six Nations. Tiyuho Garo is depicted in the portrait by Jin by holding a wampum belt. It is a significant item to the Iroquois people that serves to remember the meeting and to represent an alliance that cannot be broken unless the belt is returned. The people of London described him as tall and handsome, and his complexion showed the shadowed livery of the burnished sun. He was about 30 years old, 
and a powerful man among his people. He described as a good friend to the English. T. Garo traveled to England with his brother, Saga Yith Kwa Piath To. Hmm. The fourth, the four Native American leaders visited Queen Anne in 1710 as part of their diplomatic visit organized by Peter Schuler, mayor of Albany, New York. So they were received in London by diplomats being transported through the streets of the city in royal carriages. Of course, like I said, there was five originally, one passed away on the way. They were received by Queen Anne at the court of St. James Place, or Palace, sorry. They also visited the Tower of London and St. Paul's Cathedral. Tower of London, where they killed everybody. In addition to requesting military aid for defiance or defense against the French, the chiefs asked for missionaries to offset the influence of French Jesuits who had converted numerous Mohawk to Catholicism. Queen Anne informed the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Tennyson, a mission was authorized in Mayor Schuller at a chapel built the next year at Fort Hunter, located near the Mohawk Lower Castle Village along the Mohawk River. So Queen Anne sent a gift of silver communion set and a reed organ. The Mohawk village, known as Lower Castle, became mostly Christianized in the early 18th century. Unlike the Upper Castle at Kanajahari, further upriver, no missions at the latter was founded until 1769 when William Johnson, the British agent to the Iroquois, built the Indian Castle Church, where it still stands. To commemorate the diplomatic visit to London, the Crown commissioned Jan Verrells to paint the portraits of the four kings. These paintings hung in Kensington Palace until 1977 when Queen Elizabeth had them relocated to the National Archives of Canada. She unveiled them in Ottawa. During their visit to London, they lodged at the Crown and Cushion in King Street, Covent Garden. Thomas Arney was their host, and he was an innkeeper and upholsterer, and he was very kind and considerate to his visitors. Because of this, they renamed the Cataraqua in Mohawk christening ceremony. Cataraqua is a fort that has now become the city of Kingston, Ontario, where I'm from. Here they slept on beds for the first time and became accustomed to them. The four kings were quite a spectacle in London, as they were all described as contemporary pamphlet as being in shape, muscular, and within an inch or two of being six feet tall. Their complexions were described as being brown and their hair long and black, and their visages were very awful and majestic. What do they mean by that when they say that? And their features regular enough, though something of the austere. What do they mean awful and majestic? Can you be both? Why would they be awful? Why would they be majestic? I don't understand it. Their faces covered in art, probably meant to inspire terror during battle. I believe that it was to um, to revere their strength and their, their courage in battle, but whatever. They are described as polite, and they did not refuse drink or food that was offered to them. They loved English beef more than any other kind of food offered to them, and the people the people of London described them as healthy. Their health is good, as is proper for primitives, as they know gout, dropsy, gravel, or fevers. What the hell is gravel? You have to look that up. When they met with Queen Anne, the court was mourning for the death of the Prince of Denmark. So the four Indian kings were dressed in all black attire when they met with her. Their dress to her was red. They asked for military assistance and missionaries to lead them to true religion. Ugh, gross. Sorry, I'm really trying not to be, like, discriminative towards Christians. I just don't like that. After the reading, the chiefs presented the queen with several belts 
of to signify their meeting. The Queen Anne was moved by their address and had it referred to her ministry. The Queen also engaged the foreman in conversation through their interpreter, Peter Schuller's brother, John. And the chiefs offered to show the Queen their abilities by hunting down a deer and capturing it without a weapon, although there is no proof they were put to the test. In return for the desk, the gifts of the wimp, whom the Queen gave them a set of communion plates with the royal cipher and coat of arms for a future Mohawk chapel. These are now divided between the Mohawk reservations at Brantford, Ontario, and Tidedenega near Kingston. That's the, that's uh, Tidedenega was where, where I lived for a while. The Archbishop of Canterbury gave each of the chiefs a Bible bound in turkey red leather. I don't really know how I feel about this. I mean, like I said, I believe people should be able to do what they want. I just, nothing wrong with them going for wanting assistance and help and wanting to work with their fellow man. But I hope, I just, I, I just wonder why, why their beliefs, why they, I don't know, just something about it, I don't like it, why it was Christianizing. So they, the four chiefs also got to tour and do things all over London to honor their visit. They watched a review of the guards in Hyde Park. They visited the banqueting house and chapel in Whitehall, and they were taken to the Queen's Barge in Greenwich Hospital in the Woolwich Arsenal, where they heard saluting cannonade. They listened to sermons in the city's churches. They were guests of honor and din- at a dinner hosted by the Board of Trade and were privately entertained by William Penn at the Tavern de Diablo at Charing Cross. They attended a performance of Powell's Marionettes at Punch's Theater, a presentation of Macbeth, where they got to sit on the stage. That would be kind of cool. The Kings, with Peter Schuller, sailed for home in May 1710. Interesting. Their mission had consequences. It encouraged the court to war against the French Canada. It helped to bind the Mohawk to the English side of the century of conflict that was to follow, and it inspired a notable missionary effort by royal order. A combination of military stronghold and missionary center was erected in the heart of the Mohawk country. This was Fort Hunter near Amsterdam, New York. None of the four Indian kings' recollections of their experiences in London, England, has survived as it was told in Mohawk tradition of verbal storytelling. A contemporary editor provided a translated specimen of their ostensible observations. I, I, I'm bothered by it, to be honest with you. Um, anyone who's obviously read anything about even the North American, Native Americans' histories and the things they've been through, a lot of their, their books were written. A lot of times the chiefs themselves couldn't, weren't able to uh, write in English. A lot of them weren't literate. So they had, you know either their sons, grandsons, or, you know, someone in their tribe, they're really close to their, their sons or grandsons to do the stories, like to, to write them out for them. And they're amazing stories of, of people who, who kept giving trust to people who didn't deserve it, but they didn't have a choice. You know, a lot of people crab. I remember when I lived in Tindinaga, um, a lot of people were crabbing because they had decided, the Mohawks had decided that because they're trying to build a railroad 
through part of um, their territory, which is not right, they they did a peaceful protest. And really, I mean, I'm talking peaceful. Like, we had cops there for months. And everybody just was like, you know, it was like every day. Every, like, it was like nothing changed in a lot of ways. Like, everyone got along. There's nothing. There's no ill will. There was nobody, you know, there's nothing bad happening. It was these people who wanted to stand up for their their land, to have their land. And people were bitching because you know, they're getting in the way of them going to work or, you know, even that it wasn't really in the way of a lot of people getting to work because there are other ways to go. But it was just like they told like, I mean, they could have made their protest so much uh, harsher and it was very, very peaceful. And it made me sick to see people complaining about it because, oh, I'm going to be, you know, five minutes longer on the road to get to work or to go get groceries or what have you. I don't fucking care whatever they're doing. And it really bothered me because it was like these people, excuse me, were literally at home, just living off the land, dealing with, you know, food shortages, just trying to make sure that they had enough to survive and making sure that their family and their descendants were going to be taken care of. And these people come in and look at them like they are stupid um like there's something gross about them like they're a thing like an object and not a person and they don't try to live among the people which is what a lot of the norwegian descent or icelandic people came when they came to canada you know it was they try they they went among the people they didn't try to take over the land they want they were and they were accepted and that was the stupid part there was no fighting they were accepted in and now these white men come in these europeans that come in to find north america you know founders of north america which is bullshit and uh and they come in and they literally tell these people you have to move because we're going to live here and if you don't move we're going to literally literally brutalize and murder your entire family and like they talked about indians skinning heads it was actually in a defiance against white men who had done that to them first um it was proving a point it was not something they had thought of themselves and it made me sick like they thought of native americans scalps as actual pelts that they could wear like a fucking thing to be proud of which is just completely revolting and then they do this consistently going we'll give you better home we'll move you to this place we so much better away from away from land that they can't actually utilize away from you know the buffalo and meat that they can't now access for resources and they expect them to live like this as they're starving and not only that as they're forcefully moving these people, they're literally dropping like flies because of the weather and the conditions of them being moved. And this happens nonstop. And we're bitching because we want a five-minute faster commute to work. Disgusting. 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 
and shameful. And and they still are good to us. They're still good to us. That's the sad part. After everything, their hearts are still in this beautiful place as us all being brothers and sisters and all is one and that we no one owns the land that we are we are being given it by father sky and mother earth to live on their land and and be thankful for what we're given in terms of survival and we just squash all over it like they owe us something so it does bother me reading this about the four kings a little bit because the beauty of these men and the one man who passed away on the way, I just hope that their their passions, their loves, their true desires weren't just in hopes of safety for their people or not just in hopes of, you know, appeasing these people in order to get the things they needed to survive. I hope it was what they truly wanted. Because I don't trust what traditional history has taught us when it comes to the people who are originally in North America. Because we have literally are disgusting individuals who took over their land. And that's my opinion. You can take it or leave it. I don't really care. But these people people deserve the respect of their stories being heard. And they deserve so much more than we can ever give them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.